Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. I've had eight books published already, and I just finished my second novel, so stay tuned for news about when and where you can read it. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast, where you'll find stories of courageous people daring to share their talent with the world. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. I have a great opportunity coming up in January 2023 called the Author Brand and Marketing Mastermind. This is a 12-week program for which I'm only going to accept 10 writers, and there are just a few spots left. It's a great opportunity to delve into your writer brand and also create a marketing plan that you feel confident to implement. Today, we all know that writers, no matter whether they're published with a big publishing house or self-publishing or somewhere in the middle, have to help out with the marketing of their works. If you want to sell books, if you want to get your writing published, if you really want to build a name for yourself as a writer, this is the course for you. I am now accepting applications for registration, and you can learn more at lynngaladner.com. Get your spot before it's sold out. I first met Merle Saferstein when I interviewed her several years ago for episode 61 of the Make Meaning podcast. Back then, we were talking about Merle's career as a teacher of journaling and her own devotion to the practice. Sometime thereafter, we began an email correspondence that has grown into a cherished friendship. Today, I invite Merle back to the podcast to talk about her recently released book, Living and Leaving My Legacy. It is a gorgeous journey through her own journals arranged in sections according to subject matter and followed by thought-provoking questions for readers to explore their own lives through journaling. I was honored to be asked to write a cover blurb, so I read a pre-publication copy of the book, but when it came out, I was excited to dive in again. Merle is the author of a short story collection and is at work on volume two of Living and Leaving My Legacy, which will be out in 2023. She facilitates a weekly journaling circle, was named the 2019 Greater Miami Jewish Federation Volunteer of the Year, and worked for 26 years as Director of Educational Outreach at the Holocaust Documentation and Education Center in Miami, where she helped hundreds of Holocaust survivors share their stories with students and teachers. Merle helps hospice staff and volunteers use journaling with their patients to record their legacies. She leads a class at Gilda's Club for women impacted by cancer, and she volunteers at a camp for children who experienced the death of a family member. 
More than her professional accomplishments, what makes Merle truly special is her deep well of caring for the people in her life and the way she makes meaningful friendships with people from around the world. Merle, welcome again to the Make Meaning Podcast. So Merle, who knew when we first spoke several years ago that we'd become great friends with a deep and meaningful connection over email? I mean, who knew that, right? Right, right. But I'm so grateful. Me too. And it is so fun to have you back on the podcast in the wake of the publication of your beautiful book. So I want to start by hearing about the process of pulling this book together and putting it out into the world. So take me through that. Okay. Um, A long time ago, when I started keeping journals in 1974, I had absolutely no idea why I had this great need to write. As the years went by, I was collecting journals and at some point realized that I I first thought that I would leave them to my children, but then I realized that these journals were really written for myself and that I couldn't do that. So I began to think of what I could do so that perhaps there would be something in there I could give to my children. Mm -hmm. As an educator, I kept thinking that I must have written something in there that's worth sharing. But I had no idea. And I asked myself that question, why are you writing? What is this about? What are you Mm going to do with them? In 2002, I made the decision to go back and read my journals and take excerpts from them and and possibly do something for my children. Mm -hmm. I had no idea even what that meant at the time, but I knew that I was going to embark on a journey. Mm -hmm. And I divided the topics into about 70 different topics of my life. Wow. (laughs) Crazy. This whole thing is crazy, by the way, Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting though. So so there were 70 topics and Mm -hmm. I began by taking the very small post-it notes and cutting them into fours. Mm -hmm. And I would, I date my journals, which is the one thing I think all journals need to be dated as we write. Uh So the first thing I would do would be to mark the dates on the top. Mm -hmm. on on these post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And then as I would read, every time I came across something that I thought might be worth sharing, Mm -hmm. I would put just the top, the name of the topic, Mm -hmm. go through the journal that way. I will say that I also put down things that that I knew I wasn't going to be sharing, but Mm -hmm. I didn't, I'd ever read my journals again. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't ready to let go of it yet, but I wanted to have it there. Sure. It took me 14 years. Oh gosh. So my deadline was 2016 is when I decided to be done. Okay. So I was reading through 359 journals at the time. Oh, gosh. I know. And I was doing this on my lunch hour at work when I was stopped at a railroad track on planes. I, there were times where I, when I would be on a plane and I'd go to the bathroom and then I'd look down and see these little post-it notes that I kind of left the trail. <laughs> One of my friends said to me at one point, you really should have bought stock and and posted books, (laughs) which now I regret that I didn't. Uh That took the 14 years. And then after that, after I finished going through all the journals and what I basically my process was to read them Mm -hmm. and then go through each journal and put it onto the computer under each of the, you know, each excerpt under the correct topics. Okay. And I would say that one journal took anywhere from 10 to 15 hours to do. Mm. The other thing I did was I would take excerpts uh, about people, about my friends and family, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If there was something that I thought they might appreciate my sharing. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, after I got all the topics done, I would then end up doing sending emails to people mm-hmm. with these excerpts. And I did that for two reasons. One, because I knew that it would be fun for them to see, but also I wanted them to understand what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that was a way for them to see that I was going through my life. And while I'm going through my life, I'm also going through their life. And a few of my friends have told me that I I had become their historians. Oh, yeah. I have records of things that, that a lot of people don't. Wow. So after those 14 years, I then went through and had to determine which of the topics I was going to share. Mm-hmm. That took me a long time. Mm-hmm. I eliminated most of them. I came up with 22 topics that mm-hmm. I was to share. Mm-hmm. And so my first volume has 11 topics and mm-hmm. the second volume, which I'm going to start working on soon, mm-hmm. also has 11 topics. Okay. Then each topic was anywhere from 75 pages, single space typewritten pages to 450 pages. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I then had to go through and eliminate, figure out what I was willing to share, Mm -hmm. what was significant, whether there was a life lesson, whether there was something that would help people or something that might resonate for someone. Mm -hmm. That took took five years. Mm. Okay. And at the end, I finally finished last mm-hmm. last year. So that was basically the process. And truthfully, when I think back on it, I it's it sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> it was a journey unlike anything one can ever imagine. I mean, going yeah. through my life and and having written on a daily basis for so many years, yeah, have all that information was really it's really um, a huge gift I've given to myself. Yeah, it really is. I was wondering as I read through it, you know, how you felt going back over the details of your life over decades. You know, what were the feelings that came up for you? There were days that the feelings were uh, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So when I came through a, to a difficult point, it was not easy. And I mm-hmm. would sometimes find myself crying. Mm. My husband said to me at one point, so does this mean that when you read about such and such, you're going to be angry with me all over again? I said, well, let's wait and see. And one day he walked in from the office and the the daggers were coming out of my eyes because I had been just entrenched with an issue that was really difficult to face again. So there were times that it was really difficult. There were other times I was so grateful that I had the information and that I um, could could rejoice in the good mm-hmm. and feel, but the truth is it was almost like I was there all over again. Yeah. So there was, there was a time where, for example, um, after I finished the book mm-hmm. and shared the parenting chapter with my children, because I felt that I did not want to put that out there until they were comfortable with everything. Mm-hmm. So they both read it. And my daughter called up and said, mom, um, I'm just wondering if anywhere in the book you've put anything about when I was sexually abused. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I, I didn't because mm-hmm. it's not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. And she said, I think you need to. Oh, wow. And it was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. And I realized how much growth in, mm-hmm. in that she's had in yeah. her being able to want me to do this. But what she said was, you know, people hear from the person who's been abused, but they mm-hmm. don't have parents. And she said, I think your perspective will be really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
So I went back and I took out that journal from um, from my safe and mm-hmm. and reading it, Lynn, was so difficult. I mean, I had read sure. it one time, but reading it again and mm-hmm. realizing that I was going to be sharing it was mm-hmm. really hard. So the, the emotions, you know, kind of in life, we have the ebb and flow of life, the ups mm-hmm. and downs. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, reading was exactly that. You know, mm-hmm. some days it's great, and other days it was really painful. And I will say that there were two journals that I chose not to read altogether. Mm-hmm. And that was the summer that I took 77 days mm-hmm. and devoted myself because I needed to be done with this project. And mm-hmm. I just felt like if I don't do it, it's never going to happen. It was before COVID. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing that I could basically just stay home and do nothing but that. <laughs> COVID hit, and then I realized, well, that wasn't so that wasn't so <laughs> extraordinary after all. <laughs> yes, I knew I was approaching something that was going to be really, really awful, and mm-hmm. then I just did not want to look at. And I gave myself permission, and I was mm-hmm. so proud of myself because I'm someone who's you know pretty much a stickler, uh-huh. and I, I don't need to do that. You know, yeah. I don't need to put myself through that misery again. Right, right. You know. Um, as your friend, when I was when you asked me to read it to write a cover blurb, I I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought this is somebody's personal journals, and you know wh- how could that be interesting for me or anybody else? Like, what are you seeing in this that, that I couldn't imagine? Of course, you know from my feedback that I I couldn't put it down. I was really compelled by it. Um, I love how you brought together your specific experiences, but then related them in each chapter to the reader, giving them questions to journal about, um, you know, things to ponder so that they could go off on their own and investigate those topics in their lives. And I, I just think that was brilliant. Um, and, you know, as a writer and a writing coach, I, I always tell people, you write about what you know. And so even if a story isn't about you exactly, you're pulling from the well of experiences that you've had. And you know maybe you supplement that with research or whatever when you're when you're writing fiction or or nonfiction, but um, but I, it really I think the the specificity of your experiences makes the book so universally relatable, because you know if you're reading about motherhood or you're reading about relationships or or your jobs or whatever like all of us have gone through these things or m- many of these things, and so we can relate the specifics of your experiences to our own experiences. And I think you've just done a masterful job of that. I, I really want to commend you on that. Thank you. When I when I decided to share this book, when I knew it wasn't just for my children, mm-hmm. I had two goals in mind. And one was to help people understand the power and the gift of journaling, because I really believe it's, it's a huge gift we give to ourselves. Mm-hmm. The second one was that through having taught legacy and and doing all of that in my life, I realized that I want to help people live the best life they can. Mm-hmm. And I also want, and in doing that, I think that it's important that we look at our lives. And so while this is about my life, my real hope is that one will read the book and use my life as a mirror into their own. Mm-hmm. So what resonates for you, for mm-hmm. the reader, mm-hmm. also because it it spans such a long period of time from seventy four till two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. it's the beginning of parenting when I was when I was a young mother, mm-hmm. and it goes through the the whole feminist movement 
the women's mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. So I think that people enter the book in a different place for each person. Mm-hmm. So someone who's a, a new mother might mm-hmm. be looking at that and say, okay, this is this is helpful for me. Yeah. Or someone who becomes a grandmother might look at that piece. Mm-hmm. I had a 33-year-old man who's not married, Rita, and he said to me, this is going to be the guidepost for my marriage when I get married. Mm. So for I think for each person we relate differently, but it really thank you. It really yeah. makes me happy to know that you feel that way because yeah. that was really my goal. Yeah. Well, and that's actually a perfect segue into my next question, which is to wonder what has been the response to your book since it debuted in June. The response has been wonderful. I've been I've been really thrilled with the response. The, for me, the most important thing is when someone tells me that it led them to think about something in their own life mm-hmm. or reminded them or mm-hmm. it taught them something. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, you know, I, I'm an educator. And yeah. for me, if someone can look at my life lessons and think about his or her own life lessons and uh-huh. want to share them, then that that to me is I've achieved my goal. And so I've been very thrilled with mm-hmm. the response. So far, I haven't heard anything negative, and maybe mm-hmm. I won't, and maybe I will, and I'm preparing myself for that because as writers, we know that does happen. Sure. But I also know that this book isn't for everyone. It's not for someone who is not interested in looking into his or her own life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I did a, a really fascinating course with um, Tara Moore, who's also a writer, and she um, talks about the need to disconnect from um, criticism or praise. And there's a great exercise that she asks everyone to do, which is to look up your favorite author on Amazon or wherever and look at the negative reviews. And just to see that someone that you could totally love and you look forward to every book they put out, other people feel the complete opposite. And I did that and I I looked at one of my favorite authors and the negative feedback, I totally saw where they were coming from, but I still really love her writing, you know? And so um, even if you get any negative feedback, which I hope you don't, it says more about the person giving the feedback than it does about your writing. So absolutely, you know. absolutely, that's, yeah. that's absolutely the truth. It was interesting when I wrote my first book. Um, a friend of mine came to the house. She brought me a gift, a beautiful gift, uh-huh. and she was so excited about the book. Uh-huh. She seemed so excited, and I was excited that she loved it. I thought, uh-huh. and th- so I was a new author. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that it's probably not the greatest thing to ask someone um, what they thought about the book. <laughs> and yeah. so I said, so what did you think? And I saw her whole body language change. Oh, no. And she oh. kind of stepped back. And I said, do you want to tell me? Do you want to talk about it? And she said, no, no. And the whole the whole day just yeah. changed. Yeah. Fast forward, this woman ended up taking a legacy class of mine and wanted to do some legacy work individually. So she came to my house, I made her lunch, we sat and we talked, Mm -hmm. and she started crying. And I said, what's going on? And she Uh said, I felt so awful. Mm. But then she started telling me what happened. And what happened was there was a chapter about divorce. Mm. And she had been divorced. Mm -hmm. And it it struck her in a sure. way it was really painful. Mm. That was the day that I learned that everyone reads it through his or her own filter. Yeah. And it does not necessarily mean that 
the book was a bad book right. or poorly written, yeah. but it's what resonates for someone else. Absolutely. So, so I, I really understand that that certainly could happen with this book and I yeah. am, I am prepared and it's yeah. okay. And yeah. I thank you for that. And I'm going to go do that. Yeah. No, it's, it's really enlightening. It really is. Because all the negative feedback that I saw, I'm like, yeah, they have a point, but I still really like the writing, you know, I mean, so, right. you know, and, and you can't, you really can't determine how you feel about your writing from what somebody else says, you know, and as someone, you know, I'm always, you know, this, I'm always submitting my work for publication, I get way more rejections than than acceptances. And it can get disheartening. But then I remember, okay, this essay just didn't resonate with this one person at this one moment. And also I look back and I'll see that these journals might accept two essays in an issue and they might have hundreds that come in. And so I I have to distance myself and say, it doesn't mean it's bad writing. It just means it doesn't work for them right now. And that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've done a lot of speaking about journaling and legacy. And I wonder if you could comment on what are the most important themes that you'd like to convey when you speak about these topics? For journaling, one of the things that really is important is that when we have things in our mind, if we keep them, if we hold on to them, mm-hmm. that can affect our whole mental attitude, our physical being. Mm-hmm. And so I really believe strongly that by journaling, by putting things down on paper, it's a huge release. Mm-hmm. And I often say to people, if you've got something, if you've got an issue that you're dealing with it, you don't want anyone to see because lots of people fear writing because someone might see it. Mm-hmm. I say, write it down and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a journal, write it down Mm -hmm. on a piece of paper even Mm -hmm. and tear it up Mm -hmm. or have a ceremony, burn it, do something, but get it out. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's one thing that's really important about journaling. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though when, when we journal and when we can express ourselves, it changes, everything changes. Mm -hmm. So recently I did a workshop for social workers, um, social workers, music therapists, and nurses from a national hospice organization who are studying about trauma. Mm -hmm. They asked me to do it so that I could give them a tool for self-care. And the whole whole webinar was basically Mm -hmm. on journaling for self-care and compassion. Mm. There are lots of times when someone just needs to be able to have a conversation yeah. And having a conversation on paper is yeah. a great way to be able to do that. Yeah. That's that's important. The other thing about journaling is there are no rules. Mm-hmm. The only rule about journaling is to put the date. At least that's my rule, mm-hmm. to put the date and to not censor oneself. Because mm-hmm. when you start censoring, then everything changes. So I made a promise to myself long ago that if I hesitated to write something, Mm-hmm. I was going to not allow myself to journal anymore, which is mm. unacceptable because <laughs> I can't even imagine that journaling. Yeah, yeah. But I do understand the value of being able to say it. And yeah. there are times that I will write something and say to myself, I cannot believe you've mm-hmm. just committed this to paper. Mm-hmm. But I know that once I do, it, I feel better about it. Yeah. So that, that's the journaling piece. Okay. The legacy piece is... Basically, how you live your life becomes your legacy. Okay. My message is this. It doesn't matter necessarily what you say, but it matters what you do because Mm -hmm. people watch you. Mm -hmm. They 
learn from you from your actions. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, how you want to be remembered, it, it will only happen mm-hmm. if you live your life that way. Mm-hmm. So I remember one of the women in my cancer group who was dying mm-hmm. was in hospice, and several of us went to see her, and we were having a conversation. And she was very open about talking about dying. And so mm-hmm. I said to her, Marie, tell me how you want us to remember you. And Marie thought for a few minutes and she looked at me and she said, Merle, it doesn't matter how, how I want you to remember me. You're going to remember me the way you want to. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, we can have all these ideas in our minds, but unless we are acting that way and living our life that way, it is not going to happen. That's one of the really important things about legacy work. In terms of legacy projects, people people do a variety of things. They, they might have an interview where they talk about their life story. They might write an autobiography or a memoir, mm-hmm. put a scrap to, scrapbook together, mm-hmm. a recipe book, all of those things. And mm-hmm. what I've learned in doing all of that is that we really, while we think we're doing it for someone else, the real gift is the gift we give ourselves by doing it. Hmm. The probably if, if I were to ever expect or want anyone to do a legacy project, I think the most valuable one is to do an ethical will. Hmm. So ethical will is a spiritual document. Mm -hmm. It is not like a regular will. Mm-hmm. It contains one's life lessons, hopes and dreams and values and beliefs. Mm. In doing that, it allows us to go back and really think about our life and what what are the lessons? What are the messages that we want to pass along? Mm-hmm. And what are our values and what are our hopes and dreams? Mm-hmm. I I know that when I first wrote my ethical will, it was our rabbi on one of the high holidays suggested mm-hmm. this okay. and I went home and I he charged us to go home and write our ethical wills and I okay. often wonder how many people in the congregation did it uh-huh. but I knew that I was going to and so every morning when I went out running I would think about different life lessons and put okay. them down and just collected them yeah. until one day I had enough that I felt I could start doing this mm. and so I did Mm-hmm. And through the years, so that was in 2004. And through okay. the years, I have revised my ethical will probably maybe 10 times wow. because, because I continue to learn and grow. So yeah. I just keep adding to it. Okay. Wow. And it's very interesting because I have two legacy classes that have been going on for many years mm-hmm. one six years, one seven years. Okay. And in the beginning, we talked about. To writing ethical wills. I did even did an eight-week class with each of them. And I can't even tell you how few of those people have actually written it. Really? And it's huh. really interesting. We joke about it. I mean, yeah. there was one exercise during the pandemic where I asked them, it was an exercise about control. Like, mm-hmm. what are you in control of? And what are you not in control of? And one of the women was so, I could see she was upset. And Mm -hmm. at the end, after we all, after they wrote and we all came together to talk about it, she said, this was, this was worse than ever having to write an ethical will. (laughs) And we laugh, we joke about it all the time. Uh But I think for some people, I I don't know, I mean, I've been trying to figure it out and I, I keep coming up with different ways to get them to do it and they've got it written. It's, it's all there, but they just can't commit to it. And for some people, I think it's, it's their fear of their mortality, Yeah, sure. which it is really not. 
it's uh-huh. it's a living it's a living document you know yeah. it's something that we pass along i always say i hope that when people hear my ethical will they will not have learned anything new from me uh-huh. that everything in my ethical will is the way i live uh-huh. and what i have taught and what i have spoken and yeah. given to them that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. So I, I charge our listeners with trying to build an ethical will for themselves. And of course, if you need help, you can always find Merle and Absolutely. all that info will be in the show notes, you know. Um, so I know journaling has been grounding for you and you've talked a little bit about it already about, you know, how it's been an anchor in your life. So I'd like like to hear about the process of your journaling, how it works for you, uh, when and where you do it and how it helps you. I generally journal every morning. And a long time ago, I mean, I I had started journaling and and for many years I was writing multiple times a day, any place I could write. So I would literally be stopped at a railroad stop. I wasn't kidding when I said that. Or when the bridge went up trying to get to the beach or under a tree, a palm tree or in my bedroom or in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I always carried a journal with me. At some point, I read The Artist's Way by Mm -hmm. Julia Cameron. Yep. And Julia Cameron suggests writing three three morning pages a day. Yep. And and basically not doing anything until you the first thing you do in the morning is get up and you pick up your pen and start writing. Yeah. And so I decided to do that. And I kept my journals are are books generally. The morning pages I did on college lined notebooks. Okay. And I probably have about 30 of those. Wow. I felt so I was writing every morning and found that that writing, when I went back and read all my journals, I found that that was the most profound writing hmm. because I was really writing from my unconscious. Yeah, sure. I just get up and it was still kind of lingering. That writing was really important. So I have pretty much made a point of getting up and writing first thing in the morning. And that's, mm-hmm. that's generally when I write. Mm-hmm. Lately, the last few days, actually, in the middle of the afternoon, I have picked up my journal, which is mm. really unusual for me. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I write at night. I will, the only time I ever write at night is when I go to bed, I turn off the light and my mind is going and there is something that I have got to put down on paper. Mm-hmm. Or in the middle of the night when I wake up and I can't sleep, I will get up and write maybe for an hour and then mm. I can fall back to sleep. There have been days where I'm up, you know, three o'clock in the morning, I'm writing. And then the rest of the day, I'm, I'm still up. I write with a fountain pen. Journals have to be thin lined. I've gotten lots of gifts over the years of journals. I, it's lovely that people give them to me, but I'm very specific about my journal. So then those I re-gift because uh-huh. I, they're beautiful and I love them. <laughs> yeah. But, it's very important to me to have okay. that. I I used to like to write with online pages. Okay. Except that when I was doing my journal project, what I realized was an online journal for me was at least two to three times the the amount of writing is in a journal. Oh. In a line journal because I would write small. Okay. So there was one journal that felt like it was lasting forever. It was a <laughs> journal. And I, I kept saying, you know, really, Merle. So I don't write in online journals anymore. Okay. 
Okay, interesting. Um, you know, not all writers journal. I, I usually don't. I have. I have a bunch of journals that are like stop and start over the years. But I know that those who do have notes that uh, go that they can go back to, especially if they're writing nonfiction or memoir, which can be so helpful. Um, so I'm wondering if you see journaling as a tool for other writing or just a way to release the clutter to get clear for writing, or, or maybe it's both. I think that probably journaling, certainly for nonfiction, is a great thing to do. And I know that people who write memoirs who have their journals are have a great advantage. Mm-hmm. People who write an autobiography for sure do. Yeah. I think that one of the things about journaling is it frees one up to write. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just almost like a stream of consciousness writing. Mm-hmm. And that loosens us up. So mm-hmm. I think that it would be great for anyone who's writing to do that. When you mention having journals, Lynn, that, that you stopped and started, yeah. you're not alone. The greater majority of people that I've worked with in journaling and in the journaling circles that I've, uh-huh. I've had write when things are difficult. Mm. And then they put the journal aside. So there are lots of journals with beginning, you know, you start and you think I'm really into this and I'm going to do it. And then you stop. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's pretty standard for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I I do believe though, that for anyone, it is truly a gift we give ourselves. Yeah. I find I journal more when I have more time. So like when I was in Scotland this summer, um, I, I did a lot of journaling just to take notes on where I was or what we were doing or or thoughts or whatever, um, especially when I was there alone. And then when I'm busy with my kids and all these, you know, client demands, I, I just, I, I forget about it. Even though I have journals sitting on my desk, right, you know, within arm's reach, it's just, there's too much in the day. And so I find that the time or when something is challenging and, and I want to work through it. So it's a really good point. So for me, one of the things was that I never understood my compulsion. I don't, obsession. I I tried to figure out the right word for it. I don't think those are really the right words, but the the need and the desire Mm -hmm. to write. And I've asked myself that multiple times and have Mm -hmm. no idea why, but I didn't have a choice. In fact, someone interviewed me recently and he asked me, if I could imagine my life without journaling, what would it be like? And I said, I can't even go there. (laughs) Beyond comprehension for me to imagine not journaling. That's how I feel about writing. So yeah, it's just, it's like a need. It's just who you are. I think that's, that's huge. Um, So what challenges have you faced along your writing journey and how did they make you a stronger writer? I think, well, in this particular case, Mm -hmm. the challenge was vulnerability. What was I willing to share and also self-doubt? Those two were huge challenges in this project because I have really shared a lot of yeah. my personal self. Yeah. And, and there were days, a lot of days where I said to myself, who, who will care? Why are you doing this? Right. What does this mean? Or what will they think? And I'm, uh-huh. I'm not really caught up with what people think, but in this case, putting myself out there in the way I have, yeah. I did consider that. Yeah. So those those were really huge challenges for me. And mm-hmm. I, I do think that most people who are dealing in any kind of art have that sense of vulnerability and self-doubt as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of the, the 
condition of being an artist of some Mm -hmm. sort. I know that there was a time. So for example, one chapter where in the book I wrote, and I didn't put as much of the the dark shadow side Mm -hmm. because I just wasn't sure I wanted to expose it. And then when I read it over in one of the edits, I said, this is, there's just too much fluff here. Mm. It's lovely, but who really wants to hear all the good stuff, you know, not everyone's life is all wonderful and people are going to relate. And one of my friends who's a psychologist kept saying, you know, the shadow side is where people relate. And I went back into those excerpts, which were 150 pages. Mm. And I decided to pull out some of the really tough stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I questioned, you know, are you really prepared to put this out into the world? Yeah. One of the things that I've learned in all this, Lynn, is that when you speak your shame or the things that are really difficult, it dissipates. Mm-hmm. The more the more we can talk about the difficult things in our life, the easier it becomes yeah. and it gives other people permission to do the same. Sure, sure. I found that that's true definitely in my legacy classes. When I talk about some of my difficult stuff, people open up in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, it's very true. And any story needs conflict, it needs tension, um, it needs suspense, and and it needs resolution. And I always tell um, writers in my classes, and some of them are writing about really dark stuff, and they feel shame, they feel fear for putting it out there. And I say, if you help one person with sharing the story, will it have been worth it? And I've Everybody says yes. I've never had anyone say, nope, it's not worth it. Because they realize, oh, you know, everybody is inherently flawed. Everybody has made mistakes. And so if my mistakes can help other people feel like there's hope for them, what a great gift. Absolutely. When you talk about one person, when I was working at the Holocaust Center in the beginning, I had a boss who was fabulous. Her name was Goldie. Uh And she took me out. She was speaking and she was supposed to speak. to a group that they were expecting 50 people. Mm-hmm. And we walked in and there was one person mm-hmm. and eventually four people showed up. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being so embarrassed for her, feeling so awful. Mm-hmm. And we got in the car and I said, Goldie, I'm really sorry. And she looked at me and she said, Merle, if I touched one person tonight, that's all I care about. Yeah, And Lynn, that has really helped me through my life, through the classes I've taught, through so many things because i really do believe that if we if we can just help one person yeah. we will have made a difference in the world yeah i totally agree whenever i think about you know the dollars and cents of what i'm doing there are people who charge more than me there are people who charge less than me and i always think to myself you know if i'm okay with it and i'm really helping people then my prices are just right and you know and and i totally agree with that i mean sometimes just having two people that you're working with is so much more powerful than having 200. And so I think that that's really, really great advice from Goldie. As we near the end of our conversation, I would love it if you might offer some advice to aspiring writers who are are listening and wanting to learn from you. I think that some people start saying, well, I don't know where to begin. Um, There's a Chinese story that I heard about someone who said to a writer, uh, to a to an, an old Chinese man, when is the best time to plant a tree? And he said, the best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then the man said, so when is the second best time to plant a tree? And he said, now. 
Mm. So my, my advice is do it. Don't wait. And people say, where do I begin? How do I begin? And I often say, how about this? Right now I feel, Mm -hmm. or right now I'm thinking and just start with in the moment. What is your thought? What are you feeling? And that's just a great way to start. Yeah. Yeah, Just that's great. right where you are right now. If you have a story in you, you've got to put it down. Absolutely. Right. right. And uh, everybody has fascinating stories. I, You know, my kids laugh at me because I, I talk to people wherever we go, and they're all so embarrassed, like, oh, why are you talking to strangers? But I think it's fascinating. You know, you can learn such amazing things, and it just shows you that every person has so many stories that are worth listening to, that are worth reading, and um that means you and I have great stories that we can share and everybody listening too. So, and just to know that someday your kids will feel differently about that. Cause I remember <laughs> yes. my kids used to say the same thing to me. They don't say that anymore. So funny. Well, Merle, thank you so much for being on the make meaning podcast. You're the first guest who's been here twice. And I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the make meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.